0: now i'm not a writer hey everybody welcome to another episode of everyday el dorado i'm your host deanna bond and i'm here to share my perspective on the fine art of living well every day in el dorado Welcome to another episode of Everyday El Dorado where we are celebrating 150 years in El Dorado. Why would you want to live anywhere else? <laughs> I know I wouldn't. Celebrating 150 years in El Dorado is brought to you by Everyday El Dorado in conjunction with Golden Road Studios, the Butler County Historical Society, home of the Kansas Oil Museum, the City of El Dorado, KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, and our series sponsor, Linda Baines, realtor with Sun Group Real Estate and Appraisals. We're so very grateful for the support that makes this series possible. This is the second half to our conversation on Hildebrand, horse thief or holy roller. So in November of 1858, Mm -hmm. a gentleman rode into town that nobody knew.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And he, for whatever reason, maybe proximity, maybe where he came in. I don't know. He stopped at Reverend Hildebrand's place and maybe stayed stayed the night before heading back on his way. Uh-huh. I feel like it's okay that I say he took horses and left town with them. He took horses from Sam Stewart. Um, and we know this because then Sam Stewart goes in search of his horses. It had been snowing. And uh, for whatever reason, Sam Stewart decided that he was gonna go see if William Hildebrand had these horses. I think, and I think there's a lot more to the story about why they suspected him, but um, they went there. Uh, There were no horse prints in the snow, according to the story that Augusta relays to us. But there was some shoe prints around Sam Stewart's house. So Sam Stewart went to Hildebrand and de- not only demanded his shoe, but somehow forced it off of him, so that he could go measure the shoe print in the snow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and by that he was going to prove that Hildebrand was the horse thief. Never mind that if there was snow on the ground, you should have been able to see where the horse prints led to, but there were no horse prints around Hildebrand's house. Um, and uh, there were horse prints, and Sam Stewart decided to ride off and chase after them, along with the gentleman named Reuben Palmer. They went after the horse thief. Okay. And, and for whatever reason, they had decided that the horse thief was in cahoots with Reverend Hildebrand, and there is no way to know. We, we do not actually know that. No one knows that for sure. I was never documented, but the fact that he, he stayed at his house, whether he did know him, because it's clear, even from that first news article that we read, that um, that Hildebrand was sending information back home to people. Hey, here's a great place. Come, come find some land, get your own place. So I don't think it would be unlikely even maybe that this person had either known him or been from back home and, and came there but the the good people of El Dorado decided that they were in cahoots somehow and um and at the point that Sam Stewart goes off after his horses with Ruben uh with uh Mr. Palmer uh they just kind of sit around and wait until the horses come back or or something and instead of Stewart and Palmer coming back a letter comes back and it is from a Mr. James Bell and he describes what happened. He says, the murder of Stuart and Palmer. We have been furnished with the following particulars of the murders of Mr. Samuel Stewart and Reuben Palmer, both from El Dorado, Kansas, which took place in the Cherokee Nation on the night of November 28, 1858. And the location, it says, Requa, Cherokee Nation, December 7, 1858. To the settlers of Walnut Creek. Gentlemen, this will recommend to your kind consideration two young men of our nation who cheerfully undertake the perils of a trip to your remote settlement for the purpose of bearing you the painful intelligence of the murder on the night of the 28th of November, about 12 o'clock, of Mr. Samuel Stewart and Reuben Palmer, two of your citizens, by the man they were in pursuit of, whose name was Worldly. The circumstances that resulted in so horrible a scene was as follows. Mr. Stewart and his friend came up with Worldy on the above day in Saline District, Cherokee Nation, at the residence of a white man by the name of Harrison, living under permit and raising stock for one of our prominent citizens, J.M. Lynch, and proceeded to the arrest of said Worldy on the charge of horse stealing. On searching him, they unfortunately overlooked a Colts revolver that he had secret about his person and with which he killed them, shooting Mr. Stewart in the neck and killing him instantly. Mr. Palmer was shot in the jaw, ranging down through the neck, the ball lodging. He lived two days and could talk, related all the circumstances attending the case, gave his age, native state, etc. It was impossible to get a physician, but all that sympathizing humanity could do was of no avail. If the desire of those attending him in his last moments could have been gratified, he would more than have lived. It will afford you pleasure to know that Worldy was taken prisoner on the Tuesday following, 30 November, and that he was taken on to Van Buren, Arkansas, where the United States court is in session. Said court having jurisdiction over the case where it is generally thought there being very strong evidence that the justice he so richly merits will be speedily meted out to him the promptness of the arrest is attributable to mr lynch and other cherokees who also attended to the internment of the remains of mr stewart in as decent a manner as circumstance would admit of the attentions of mr harrison on mr palmer were unremitting to the last. The horses that were stolen, as well as those rode out by Mr. Stewart and his friend, are in the possession of Mr. Lynch. One of the young men had to ride one of them back, which is unavoidable. He also takes along with him Mr. Palmer's pistol. There is a schedule of all that they had. It would be advisable for some of their friends to come in immediately. There is not the least danger in attending the trip and the young men will act as pilots very respectfully, James M. Bell. So that details for us exactly who stole the horses. Yes. And what happened. How Mr. Stewart was killed and that they arrested Mr. Worldly and took him to the district court in Van Buren, Arkansas, where he was, we think tried. Uh, The courthouse met with a fire at some point and a lot of records Mm -hmm. were lost. Um, So that part is still not clear, but some research has been uncovered to show that he did arrive there. They just weren't able to ever kind of find a case in what happened to him. But to me, this very clearly gives us some good clues. Tells us whose house Mr. Lynch was a Cherokee. And he and some other Cherokees attended to the internment of Mr. Stewart and Mr. Palmer. So we know they were buried there Mm -hmm. in Requa. Cherokee Nation. I'd like to know where that is. Uh-huh. And um, it's it's possible they did not have a headstone. Yes. They might have got a, a stick in the ground or something. Right, But uh, I don't think we'll probably ever really probably be able to find that. Probably not. But you know, I like to go looking. <laughs>
1: you never know. Maybe they did have a headstone. Uh,
0: so at this point, I would say case closed. Right. We found the horse thief and the murderer. Uh-huh. And he is being handed over to to the justice system. But that is not what the citizens of El Dorado did when they received this letter. They decided, according to Augusta's journal, on December 26, a posse of men calling themselves El Dorado vigilantes rode over to Hildebrandt's claim Arrested him and brought him back to JD Connor's store where they set up an impromptu courtroom to hold the trial. They appointed Mr. Connor sheriff. So the district court <laughs> that has jurisdiction is in Arkansas where the gentleman who was apprehended, who was known to commit the crimes, was sent. But they decided. They were going to... Um, Hold their own trial. Yeah. And, you know, before I go any further, I, I think they just didn't like Hildebrand. And this was just the, the, ex, the excuse they needed to finally... Um, Do you think it's possible there was still so much
1: anger because Sam Stewart had been killed that they're still looking just to... Oh,
0: you know, absolutely. Very good point. And- he was a beloved citizen mm-hmm. and they just wanted someone to pay. And since they weren't going to be able to meet out justice on Worldly, Uh they have needed to find a connection. Members of the jury were Tom Cordes, Dr. Weebly, Henry Martin, Jesse Curry, Arthur Keyes, and Jerry Jordan. Of course, Ada and I attended on orders by the posse as potential witnesses. And of course, Ada and Augusta would have been relevant and um, interested in the case. It was their father who, one of the men were killed. Chase and Mr. Carey were still down in Cherokee Nation. So after this letter, they attended the, they they went back with the, the gentleman who delivered the letter, who was writing one of, Sam Stewart's horses because he he wanted to ride it back I think probably also as proof I come back and get all the rest of them um and they hadn't come back so Chase was Augusta's future husband and uh Mr. Carey I'm not sure who he is yet have to look up that but they went down to gather the their their, their belongings and the other the remaining livestock horses it was late in the day when the trial began. And I, first off, just want to say <laughs> it wasn't a trial. It was a vigilante. We say okay. a kangaroo court. Uh-huh. But it was a um, it was um, but they call it a trial uh-huh. to make themselves feel better. Yes. Mr. Connor's store was really quite crowded. After Mr. Connor conferred with Dr. After Weebly and Mr. Martin, he said the court would allow Mr. Hildebrand to make a statement, which would then be followed by questions from the jury. He said he expected those questions to deal specifically with either the theft of the two horses on the night of November 23rd, 1858, from the Stewart claim, or with any involvement Mr. Hildebrand might have had leading to the murder of Sam Stewart on the night of November 28th. In Cherokee Nation okay right there I need to stop before I go on he's on trial now for the theft of the horses and any involvement he had leading up to Mr. Stewart's death any involvement he had with the death
1: uh-huh. an accomplice
0: mm-hmm and after reading the letter from the gentleman it looks like Mr. Stewart and Mr. Palmer died because they wanted to get their horses back from, from Mr. Worldly. And Mr. Worldly did not want to be arrested, so he shot and killed him. Uh-huh. I don't think there was any plot there. It was survival. Uh-huh. You're not going to arrest me. I'm going to kill you. Uh-huh. And that's what, what happened. Um, but, so now he's on trial, and these are the charges. Uh-huh. Theft of horses, accomplice in the murder. Uh-huh. And that's the only thing that they say he's going to be uh, questioned on. And again, this is according to Augusta Stewart, who attended the trial, presumably took notes and Mm -hmm. thus entered in her diary uh, following that. Probably wasn't writing in her diary in that moment, but but took notes, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Um, Mr. Connor said, all right now, Mr. Hildebrand, you may talk. Mr. Hildebrand stood up and began to speak with remarkable confidence. He said his name was Reverend William Hildebrand. Ada leaned over and whispered to me, I've never heard that one before. Hildebrand said that he'd been in the area two months before Sam Stewart and his gang of abolitionists had come in June of 1857 to lay out El Dorado. Some of it on land that he had already claimed. He disregarded the fact that he'd been paid by the town committee for that claim. So we're going to just break that down for a minute. Uh Ada's little side to Augusta was she'd never heard him say that he was a reverend before.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Well, you know, we just talked about perception and point of view. Ada and Augusta weren't here
1: uh-huh.
0: for six months. He was here, and I'm sure they didn't have a lot of dealings with every... I just can't imagine new people come and sell in a town. They're busy building their claim and surviving and gathering berries and grapes and killing Buffalo. They don't have time to go make social calls on everybody in the surrounding countryside. Right. I can't imagine that she, that, that anybody necessarily would have had any dealings with one or all of the people. Right. So the fact that she didn't know doesn't, I don't think matters. I mean, it's established from that first Mm -hmm. newspaper article. That he was identified even back then, uh-huh. um, and that the fact that that uh, that he um, identified Sam Stewart and his gang of abolitionists is a good clue to me too,
1: uh-huh.
0: because I then wonder if Reverend Mister Hildebrand was perhaps pro-slavery.
1: I think it's a good theory. If you think about he knew people from Benton, Arkansas. Colonel Bigham was from Louisiana or at Southern Mis- Louisiana. Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, oh, I'm sorry, Mississippi.
0: Mm-hmm. That, um, Yeah, there's a. I'm thinking right off if I had to think, why would they not like Mr. Hildebrand, mm-hmm. Reverend Hildebrand? And why would they decide to arrest him and put him on trial for very clearly something someone else did? Someone else stole these horses, went into Cherokee Nation, pulled out their colt repeater, and killed two men when he was being arrested for sealing said horses. There was another motive. There was something else going on. And and this is a good theory. This is a good conspiracy theory to think that it was possible that he was pro-slavery. Because all of the people who came to El Dorado were free staters. They They came specifically... For a free state, but guess who was here first? Hildebrand and Bigam, not free staters, apparently. And I think that their the sheer numbers uh, uh, put Bigham and Hildebrand at a slight disadvantage, even though they were here first. I think when they said, "Hey, we, we want this spot for our land, we'll pay you for it," but mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I think he probably was like okay because he was outnumbered. Right. I think, again, more conspiracy on my part, that this could have kind of laid the groundwork for the animosity that the town folk may have been feeling towards Mr. Hildebrand leading up to this this exchange. Um, So she goes on to say, she's quoting uh, Hildebrand, I've only lived where I live now for a few months. Prior to that, my two children and I lived on a claim over the river. So I'm going to stop there before I go on. So he had been had land purchased from him from his first claim. He moves slightly to the just next next to it apparently, and then lived there until two months prior to this, in which he moved again. Uh-huh. And uh, kind of in other places, we read that Connor purchased Hildebrand's one of his claim, his second claim. Right. So the town company got the first one. Hildebrand just seemed to be good at real estate. Uh huh. Apparently, he was finding some good spots. Yes. And um, Connor decided to buy that land. So um, that's where he puts up his store, and and presumably where we are now having the trial. In the cabin and the claim that had been Hildebrand's is now Connors. Hildebrand goes on to say, I was formerly a missionary with the Cherokees and Chickasaw Indians. My mission was supported by some Baptist churches in the South. I came up here from Mississippi with Colonel Alexander Bingham. So she types Bingham. Uh A hero of the Mexican War. Some months ago, the colonel departed Leaving the area, but I stayed behind, and I am now carrying on a mission with the Kansas Osages. So this, her retelling of his answers in court—I uh-huh. don't know what what do we call that? His um, argument, not his argument. His response. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it pretty much batches up with what we learned from Colonel or from Captain Cracklin right. in in August of fifty seven. He came from Mississippi with Alexander. Now, she spells Bingham. She's got some other typos in here, or the editors of the the journal do. Um, So I'm thinking she wrote Bingham, but it's Bingham, a hero of the Mexican War. Uh, So now we've learned that he was was in El Dorado up until just a couple months prior. So it seems like probably even about the same time that he moved Uh claims. I'd never even known also that he had two children that were living with him. Right. That's something. We don't know when they came. Were they here with Hildebrand and Bigham when they first... It kind of sounds like that was the case because he doesn't mention a wife at all. Right. And if he's going to mention his children, I would think if he had a wife, he would have mentioned her too. Uh Yeah, he should have. So that leads me to believe that Hildebrand, Bigum, and two children were the first settlers in Butler County.
1: I would agree.
0: Because if Bigham stayed the whole time until two months prior... I'm thinking they were all together because he, he doesn't say that he left and came back, left and picked up the kids from somewhere. Mm-hmm. So that's a piece of the story we're missing out. No, it is. So Mr. Martin interrupted him and said, that's strange. He said, I've never seen any Osages around your place, even though they occasionally come into El Dorado. I've seen them at my place, the Stewart's place, and up at Jacob Carey's place. On the other hand, I've seen many white men, all strangers in these parts, come up and go around your place. I've seen horses corralled at your claim down by the creek, and then they've disappeared. And the language you used when you attacked Mr. Carey in September. That language, sir, doesn't seem to me to fit the personage of a Baptist reverend, which you claim to be. What? have you got to say about that?" So, you know, I'm still wanting to break this down some. I think it's it's interesting that Mr. Martin hadn't ever seen any Osages around okay. Hildebrand's place, but he would have seen it around other people's place. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if they've been keeping an eye on Mr. Hildebrand, if he's able to identify horses being there and white men coming to visit. Um, you know, I don't know how he did missionary work to to the Osage. Uh, I imagine he went to them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if he was going to Martin's place, Martin had a store mm-hmm. where maybe they were trading. And the Stewarts' place. The steward's had a sawmill.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And a hotel. And Augusta and Ada cooked meals that people would drop in and eat, according to her mm-hmm. documentation. So... I'm thinking they were trading, possibly. I'm not sure what Jacob Carey did, what, what he, he did. But if Mr. Rever- Reverend Hildebrand's occupation was converting the Indians, mm-hmm. the o- Osage, um, to Christianity, it seems as though he would go to them mm-hmm. for that. You know, I don't know. Again, my conspiracy, my thoughts. Um but the fact that he would just null and void his his account of having Osages, I don't. If you're if you're so busy watching someone else all the time to know that there was never Osages there, that would tell me you weren't doing anything else ever because uh-huh. no one can be at anyone else's place twenty four seven. Right. So that just seemed like a bit of a reach. Uh, Hildebrand was defiant. Oh, I need to go back. To a little bit more, and he, he mentions his uh, language. Um, you know, again, we don't know what happened. It looks like there was an argument, uh-huh. an attack. Um, I'm not saying people didn't use foul language, uh-huh. whether they're minister or not. I don't know, I mean, I know lots of people. I've known, I mean, you know even ministers who have anger management problems, that doesn't make them less capable of sharing the gospel. Uh-huh. It just means they're human. Right. But I think, again, they, they wanted to, they, I don't think they care, because clearly they're not talking about the things they laid out in the beginning, which is we're only going to discuss, he's only going to be questioned about the horse theft and the death. And they're already talking about his language and
1: uh-huh.
0: an issue back in September. So I feel like there's just been mounting animosity between Mr. Hildebrand and uh who it appears likely was pro-slavery uh-huh. and uh the free staters. I think they just didn't want him in their town. Uh-huh. He didn't he didn't hold the same values, whether he was a minister or not. Uh he was a minister of a different faith, maybe, than theirs. Uh-huh. So uh she says he ignored Mr. Martin's questions and claimed that he knew nothing about the horses or father's whereabouts which made sense because they didn't have telephones and cell phones and internet and information didn't travel i mean it took them over a month to get the information from what happened then uh-huh. to to el dorado i would believe here that he knew nothing about the horses or father's whereabouts uh-huh. Now, does that say he knew Mr. Worldly or that he knew Mr. Worldly was going to take the horses? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. It was all speculation. Um, So Mr. O'Connor asked him, how did you know in late November and again in December that Sam Stewart would probably not be returning to El Dorado? Also explain how your footprints match those found in the snow at the Stewart's Corral on the morning of November 24th. It says, Mr. Hildebrand offered an evasive explanation. So, all this is um, not all quoted. So, she was probably recollecting. Uh Um, You know, if at some point he said, hey, he probably, probably won't be returning to El Dorado. If someone went after a horse thief into Indian territory, I guess he had lots of reason to believe that he could have died of the elements or... Indian attack
1: Uh
0: or any, any number of things. I don't think he, I I, I just, I know that some of this theory was that the horses were stolen to lure Mr. Stewart out into Cherokee nation where he could be murdered. Uh That was the town folks, their theory, their conspiracy theory that it was just a, the theft was the horse. theft was just a ploy. Uh Um, I just, I' have not seen I did not get that mm-hmm. from here, but I could see how they would, right. Um, so then it says they questioned him about the money and uh, that he had because let's see, they questioned him about the money. Hildy, as she calls him here, answered that he always had money. Uh, where did you get the cash for the new shoes you got? Because since Stuart Sam Stewart took his shoes, he was barefoot in the snow, mm-hmm. and he was apparently angry about that, shared mm-hmm. that here too. Um, He said it was common knowledge that Sam Stewart had at the point of a gun made him remove both his shoes and had kept one uh, to go Uh check the snow. He said, I couldn't go around barefoot on the prairie in November, so I bought a new pair. Uh, He continued to be cheeky in everyone who questioned him, and he refused to give details about worldly except to say that he was a southern boy from Baltimore, had stopped by his place on his way to Pikes Peak. So that was Hildebrand's, um, real, you know connection to,
1: uh-huh.
0: to this man who stole the horses. Hildebrand, uh, he said, but why? But he didn't go to Pike's Peak, said Mister Martin. He went south with the horses. The two of you stole, isn't that right? Now I have yet to see any proof that Hildebrand stole the horses uh-huh. because worldly did, but he said. Uh, Augusta goes on to say, Hildebrand was not to be tricked. I don't know where he went. Well, then Mr. Martin continued, tell us what day he left. Wasn't it the morning of November 24th? And he said, I don't recall when he left. So when the questioning was over, Mr. Henry Martin, one of the older gentlemen on the jury, said he wanted Mr. Hildebrand to be held outside, guarded with a gun, while the jury deliberated. He assigned one of the younger men to do that. The jurymen talked amongst themselves in hushed tones for maybe 15 or 20 minutes. Then Mr. Connor said Henry Martin would speak on behalf of the jury. Mr. Hildebrand was ushered back in. And they pronounced it in sentence. Mr. Hildebrand. Mr. Martin addressed Hildebrand. For all the antisocial behavior you have worked upon, Mr. Jordan, Mr. Carey, Dr. Weebly, and Mr. Stewart during the oxing incident... All citizens of El Dorado and pursuant to the information brought out at this trial amounting to circumstantial evidence that you were involved in a scheme to steal his horses, get him out of the community, and to murder Sam Stewart, president of El Dorado, you are to be banished from this community. In addition, the jury has sentenced you to 50 lashes of the whip. The jury gave him three days to clear out of Hunter County which was the Uh location of El Dorado at the time. Dr. Weebly and Jerry Jordan were assigned to reduce the verdict to writing, which they did, and a committee of five from the jury was appointed each to administer 10 lashes on Hildebrand's bare back. They did the whipping directly after the sentencing in the woods next to J. D. Connor's store. Everything about this Uh reads to me that they just didn't like him. And, you know, I don't know, maybe he wasn't a nice person.
1: Yeah, it's possible.
0: Um, you know, he was pro-slavery. Uh-huh. Um, he claimed to be a, a Baptist reverend from the South and was supported by churches from the South, mm-hmm. according to him. Um, it's possible that he just wasn't a nice person possible. and they didn't like him. Very possible. I don't think that makes him guilty of horse theft mm-hmm. or murder. Uh-huh when clearly there were witnesses showing that he, he did not have the horses in possession or the smoking gun. Uh-huh. Um, this was a, you know clearly a case of this vigilante group um, just not wanting him around anymore. But I think they didn't want his blood on their hands. You know, we've talked about this before. Uh, back then, and even in El Dorado's history, if you were caught stealing horses, that vigilante mob took you out and hung you up. Absolutely, yes. Or shot you. Right. And we have stories of that, even here in Clint Worth's book that we were mentioning Uh uh, a little earlier. Um, He he goes into detail of some other stories Uh of our town. Uh, So this would be the first documented case of a theft and murder, even though he wasn't murdered in Butler County, it was in Uh Cherokee Nation. He was a citizen here. Um, but that... Uh, but I think they knew in their hearts mm-hmm. that he didn't, obviously. Uh, they had proof that it was someone else. And that that someone else was being uh, sent to be tried for that. Mm-hmm. Those crimes. Uh, and they didn't want the blood on their hands. I don't think they were bad people. I just don't think they liked Mr. Hildebrand, Reverend Hildebrand. So that is... Um, there's so much more to Mr. Hildebrand's life. Yes. <laughs> I want to find him because in in uh, the next volume of Augusta's book, she talks about him uh, maybe being back in the area. Because ah. he was told to leave the county. Right. Of course, El Dorado at that nice. time was Hunter County. Mm-hmm. And um, And whether he was really back or they were just all, you know, oh, no, he's back. If he is, we're going to oh, get gosh. him, you know, still... Fueled by anger, um, you know we we don't see him again. Uh, but now that we have some clues, maybe we can start looking for him. There was a lot of just like Alexander Biggums. There was a lot of William Hildebrands uh-huh. in in America at that time. And uh, we I did find one on the census of 1860 in. Arapahoe County, Kansas Territory. Okay. So closer to kind of an area of gold mine and uh, he was there with a group of miners uh-huh. so whether it was our Reverend Hildebrand or not I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, but that's the last kind of time I see someone on in that area. I find another Reverend or another William Hildebrand in Chitopa uh-huh. Kansas which is Further south, so it would have been almost Cher- uh, Cherokee Nation, um, almost at the border of Kansas and Oklahoma. Oh, okay. It may have been okay. as late as 1880, actually, and he was an older gentleman. But I just didn't think it was the same, sir. Sure. The same Hildebrand. But those would be the only, the closest in proximity to us mm-hmm. during that time. Um, so a lot more lot more looking to do but with the clues of uh, knowing he had connections to Arkansas and then maybe Mississippi we can kind of that's a good point do some Mm cross-reference so we can see it's not always so cut and dry but sometimes if you just kind of start looking at the pieces you get a better sense of things right and you know our original story was just that that he was a horse thief Mm -hmm. and he was run out of town Never heard of again. And he may never have been heard from again. Yeah, it's very possible. But there's more to the story. He was a father. He had two children. He was a reverend.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He did not steal those horses, and he did not kill those men.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think history needs to be righted.
1: We need the full picture.
0: We do. We do. Now, it's likely he was pro-slavery. We don't know. Right. We but know it, for sure. it you know, most again, likely. And, and, and uh, the rest of El Dorado was a free state, uh-huh. mostly, uh, you know, what we learned. So, in all likelihood, they just didn't want him around. Right. They didn't want him here.
1: And here was an opportunity to
0: finish that off. hmm And so, I think, I've always felt like history was probably unkind to Mr. Hildebrand. And now I want the world to know. Yeah. He may have not been a nice person. But he was not a horse thief, and he was not a murderer.
1: Well, even Henry Martin says it's a circumstantial evidence.
0: I mean, the fact that they still found him guilty of circumstantial evidence and for being antisocial. Yeah. They didn't like him. They they said it right there. When they started the case, and they said, we're only trying you on the facts of the murder, Mm -hmm. the horse theft, theft, and the murder. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the trial, it's because you're antisocial and we don't like you and we just had enough dealings with you yeah. and yeah. We've drawn enough conclusions we think you might be guilty. So and it's not a real court.
1: So yeah. you really can do
0: whatever we want. Yeah. Be lucky we're not hanging you up. Right. That's a that's a good story. It is, it is. So we were talking kind of earlier that this is the last episode maybe it's going to have to be two parts again (laughs) the last episode before the next so we're going to take a little bit of a break and uh because the museum's got a big exhibit coming up yes. so can you tell us a little bit about that we
1: are um doing something involved in something called the rural crossroads exhibit oh and the rural crossroads exhibit Mm -hmm. uh it we are let me kind of do a little background the smithsonian is having a nationwide traveling exhibit called real crossroads in america mm-hmm. and with that they will send um a series of pre-create not pre-created but already created by the smithsonian uh, large panels that go to these main real crossroads sites we are not a main site we are actually a, you could call it like a sister site or a partner site and um so right now, Kansas has gotten these partner sites in different time periods through 2020 and into 2021. Our, um, we're gonna get this, will be part of the process from December 1st of this year to I believe it's March of April of next year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, the main one of the main sites is Newton. I'm sorry, I can't think of what the other main sites right are. Right now it's
0: in Greensburg. It's in Greensburg mm-hmm. right now.
1: And then the, when the main site opens, The sister sites will have smaller exhibits connected into the theme. We aren't all doing the same thing, but the theme of rural crossroads changes in rural America. So December 1st, we'll have, um, if we're not able to have anything here at the museum, and most likely we probably won't because riots and cases, we will do something virtual. We have, um, our our exhibit will have both a, um, it has a recorded component and, uh, interactive visuals component as well as in person. so if if anything's to first, we can show the um, visual component online.
0: And that exhibit opens December one. yes so so we're gonna take a little bit of a hiatus here as as the museum kind of gears up mm-hmm. and does some finishing touches yes. with that exhibit <laughs> and then once it's up and running and underway, then we'll start we'll start. Uh, recording some uh future episodes for season two that uh we should just pick a date um uh, be good to get get back up and i'm thinking maybe the end of january or the first of february get them back up again i'll be
1: this isn't too far away
0: no it's actually it's gonna happen fast. <laughs> yeah Faster than we realize. Yeah. And uh, so so we'll continue to air them on the podcast, Everyday Eldorado. So all of the episodes that we have already aired are available on the podcast channel. You can go back and listen. And I will see about doing an encore um, of all of the episodes that we've done and just kind of replay them until we pick back up next season. So um, this has been a pretty... <laughs> pretty fun yes, it has been i've enjoyed it me too i'm so glad that you were willing to let me twist your <laughs> arm to to join me on this it's been a lot of fun so thank you for thank you for joining us as we as we kind of s- trudge through the story of hildebrand there there's so much more to learn um and if you'd like any any help with researching that or any other story you can Contact Suzanne here at the museum. What's the best way for them to do that?
1: Uh, you can uh, reach me by phone or by email. Mm-hmm. Um, either one is either one will work.
0: And be watching the website for the Crossroads exhibit, and and the one in Butler County. What do we call them? The Changing Faces and Places of yes, Butler County. Yes. Correct. Yes. Be sure to tune in next time where we will hunt for history here on Everyday Alderado. I'm your host, Deanna Vaughn. I'm Suzanne Wallenta. Celebrating 150 years in El Dorado is brought to you by Everyday El Dorado in conjunction with Golden Road Studios, the Butler County Historical Society, home of the Kansas Oil Museum, the City of El Dorado, KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, and our series sponsor, Linda Baines, Realtor with Sun Group Real Estate and Appraisals. We're so very grateful for the support that makes this series possible. All views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the individuals expressing them and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or positions of Butler Community College or KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, El Dorado, Kansas, Radio 4 Butler. <laughs> Okay. So that's it for me here on Everyday El Dorado. But keep an eye out and an ear open for your source of information on the fine art of living well every day in El Dorado. Have a great day. No, I'm not a writer. Okay.